fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service, thermal imaging, camera training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partner is Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Sport Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I'm your host, Steve Green. Today, my guest is going to be Chief Charles Werner, who has a long and enviable resume in the fire service, but has been connected with the use of drones or UAS, unmanned aerial systems, for a long time. And now he is at the forefront of the field, and you'll learn about that in a few moments. If you are a new listener to Five Alarm Task Force, we welcome you. And again, this is season four. We have three seasons. And if you'd like to binge and catch up on previous episodes, you can go to our website at www.dalmatianproductions.tv and just click that podcast tab and the entire library will come up right in front of your eyes. Take your time absorb what you listen to. We have some great stuff there, especially if you're in the fire service, if you're in EMS, if you're in law enforcement. If you're just interested in public safety, we have all that and a little personal, a few things personal in there as well about our experiences in the fire service. On um, When you're on our website, by the way, on the homepage, you can sign up our newsletter. It only comes out a few times a year. There's no no spam at all. And you're easily removed from the uh, from the mailing list if you so request. But we protect that mailing list. No one's going to get your email from us. Uh, however, it keeps you up to date with some of the things that are happening uh, with the podcast and Dalmatian Productions and some things that might be happening. So, again, just sign on that homepage, sign up for the newsletter, and we'll get you subscribed right away. If you listen to us and follow us on Facebook, and yes, if you're returning listeners, I am going to make a very strong effort to spend more time on our pages on Facebook. You can find us at forward slash Prod or forward slash Fire. But please, if you do visit us, like us, like those pages. And whatever platform you listen to our podcast on, and there are many that we're on, many for you to choose from, and we thank you for choosing Five Alarm Task Force, please make sure you give us a good review. It's very important, not just for us and our egos, but it's the way that platform presents our podcast when people come looking for it. And it's higher up. The better reviews get higher up in the search mode. So it's very important for you to give us a good review on whatever platform you use, whether it's Google Play or iTunes uh, Spotify, whatever. Just feel free to leave us a good review there. It would really be appreciated and will help other listeners who are looking for us. So if you enjoy the podcast and you want to kind of spread the joy around, besides telling everybody our website and how they can listen to us, you can also help us and help a great a great charity as well, the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And you can do that by visiting our online store, at bit.ly forward slash dalmatstore, D-A-L-M-A-T-S-T-O-R-E, for some T-shirts and mugs that we have available. And a portion of the net proceeds goes to the 
National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And so far, uh, between that and the royalties from my book, I believe we've sent $150 to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. And they don't just help. They help the families of fallen firefighters. They help the kids of fallen firefighters. They, they have them go to camps during the year and during the summer. They have special programs for these kids. Uh, and they, they keep them connected to their parents and what, what they did and how important it was. So the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation is really probably the top charity that I have in my heart uh, as a former firefighter. And I urge you, even if you don't want to buy anything from the store, take a look at their website. It's firehero.org, I believe. And take a look. And um, if you're interested, make a small contribution to help them out. Nothing is too small, thank God. Everything is used to help these families. So, again, you can go to our store, bit.ly forward slash Dalmat store. You can choose colors and different wording on the back of the T-shirts, or you can get a couple of mugs uh, for tea, coffee, hot chocolate, whatever you drink out of a mug. And that's it. That's all our business. So we're going to be right back with Chief Warner right after these words. So please stay tuned. New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day, and that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs, and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com. Your best bet for tick training. you like to meet up with Andy and the gang from Insight Training? Now is the time to do it. Here are some of the dates. August 10th through 11th with FD Tactics in Texas. Tactical Thermal Imaging and Tactical Search. That's sold out. August 22nd, Enhanced Search Methodology with Instructor Thomas Anderson. Register through Evenbright. September 12th to the 14th, Train the Trainer in Spotsylvania, Virginia, Fire Department. Late September, Insight Training Webinar Series continues. Announcement is pending. And September 27th at the IFC Conference, Achieving Buy In with Thermal Imaging. And finally, October 6th through 12th, Firehouse Expo in Nashville. Two hot classes Tuesday and Wednesday, followed by two general conference sessions on Thursday by instructor Andy Starnes and instructor Thomas Anderson. Insight Training LLC, your best bet for tick training. The Firehouse Tribune where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path, a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts and will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. 
Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. And welcome back to this very important episode of Five Alum Task Force. It's our first episode in our fourth season. And I am so pleased to have back as a guest Chief Charles Warner. Uh, Chief Warner has a, re- a remarkable resume in the fire service. He is the uh, Chief Emeritus of the Charlottesville uh, Fire Department. He served 44 years in the fire service, 37 with Charlottesville Fire, serving the last 10 years as the chief, retiring 2015. Chief Warner recently served as the acting deputy state coordinator and senior advisor with the Virginia Department of Emergency Management, where he helped to facilitate VDEM's UAS program. Chief Werner also helped facilitate the Albemarle County Sheriff's Office SAR team. Chief Werner served as the first chair of the National Fire Protection Association Multidiscipline Technical Committee on Public Safety UAS Standards. By the way, if you don't know what UAS is and you're listening, I apologize. These are drones. These are the drones that we see or you hear about flying around. Chief Warner presently serves as a public safety drone coordinator with the Virginia Department of Aviation, a member of the AUVSI Trusted Operator Program Steering Committee, chair of the International Public Safety Association UAS Committee, SAE 30 Public Safety UAS Standards Committee, chair of the National Council on Public Safety UAS, and he is also a certified FAA Part 107 remote pilot. Chief Warner serves on, has served on numerous national public safety organizations, presently serves on the International Association of Fire Chiefs Technology Council, the National Alliance for Public Safety, GIS Foundation Board, and the National Information Sharing Consortium Advisory Council. He is a contributing editor to Firehouse Magazine with over 100 nationally published articles. He also initiated the original development of Firehouse.com, and now he is currently, as we take to the air today, currently the director of Drone Responders, the Public Safety Alliance. Chief, welcome back to the show. It's an honor and pleasure to have you with us again. Uh, thanks, Steve, for the program and all the information you share to everyone as well. It's very important. Thank you very much. So when you were here, uh, probably just over a year ago, we were talking about a lot of technology that was forthcoming in the fire service. And one of the ones that, as we said from your resume, that was coming up and kind of growing uh, was the UAS, the drone uh, use. And I'm sure some of our listeners have seen news stories on national news or even the local news where drones were used to look for somebody who was lost or drones were used for another purpose. And now that's really coalesced. And why don't you tell us uh, about what you, how that's coalesced and changed and matured since you were with us last time. Sure. So let me start by giving a little bit of an evolution of what we've learned over the past two years. Uh, in May of 2018, uh, the Bard Center of the Drone uh, did a study and said, let's look at how many public safety agencies are using drones today. Uh, their study came back and showed that there were 918 public safety agencies across the United States that had certificates of authorization. Uh, I used that study in Virginia to reach out to the people in my communities, but I did one step further. I sent emails out to the state fire chiefs, the state police chiefs, the state sheriffs, the state emergency managers, the state search and rescue folks, to ask if anybody else was doing programs beyond the list of 26 right. that was in the, the Bard Center that they'd broken down. Um, my responses, quite frankly, surprised me uh, because there's two ways you can fly. One, you can fly under a, a Certificate of Authorization or COA, or you can fly under Part 107, or you can combine the two and fly under both. Well, I got just as many uh, that were flying Part 107 without COAs uh, that made the number from 26 to 52. So immediately that kind of showed me the 918 number that the this, this study showed was very conservative. Uh, I found as I went across the country, this to be true in almost every case, I would I would guesstimate, uh, based on my conversations with others in the states and seeing this growth, that we probably have between 2,000 and 3,000 public safety agencies that are in some stage of a public safety U.S. or drone program. Um, from that, here's, here's some interesting things we learned. Uh, departments come in and we tell you 
uh, when you're looking at this, de- define the missions that you're going to fly first. Most mm-hmm. important thing, because that's going to help you determine determine what type of aircraft and what kind of payload or functionality you you're going to purchase. What's happened with that area is people start out in one direction, and as soon as they have a successful program, they are immediately requested to do other missions that are missions outside of their their original mission set. Right. So now they, they start seeing they're actually flying more missions than they ever planned. Um, and then the next piece that comes is now they realize the new missions that they have, the aircraft and the payloads that they purchased don't provide um, what they need. So they've got to buy different aircraft. So now it's starting to get expensive sure. in trying to buy the aircraft to, to meet those mission sets. Uh, and then, then they realize because almost everybody uh, in, in the United States that has a public safety UAS program is basically um, doing it as collateral duty. It's an extra duty like we typically do uh, for hazmat and some other things that people have the regular firefighters and are doing other jobs. Right. They're now finding that the missions have increased more than they expected. It's taking more time. And now they've got different types of aircraft, so they've got to train more often. And it just it starts elevating. And then one thing when I was at the Texas Public Safety U.S. Summit that, that I heard that I hadn't really thought of, is they said, Chief, did you know you're missing missing one of the areas? And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, we, we had a hard time coming to this Texas Public Safety Drone Summit. And I was like, well, why? Well, our leadership uh, didn't want to let us leave for fear that they might need us to fly. Uh. So that shows a whole, a whole paradigm shift of nice to have to be recognized as need to have. Right. So that's that's the, the big transition, and the, and the number of departments across the country that are that are going into this now are seeing the the advantages and opportunities. Uh, some of the problems that we still have is that uh, while we have the NFPA 2400 and we have uh, some standards out by the Airborne Public Safety Association and ASTM, there still isn't anything that defines what a minimum requirement to be a public safety remote pilot is. And we have lots of eight, lots of companies that say we can train public safety. And really what that only means is that they have, out, they have trained another public safety agency. It doesn't mean that they were trained by some particular standard or to meet a specific requirement. So sure. that creates a little bit of uh, a discourse in figuring out how do we, how do we actually make sense of that. Um, so, so the growth has been phenomenal over uh, this past two years. You know, it, it's uh, as a coincidence, last fall, last October, at the uh, Great Florida Fire School, which is more of a regional uh you know, fire uh, fire school, but we do have people who have come in from out of state as well. But for the first time uh, in in the two years, and we're coming back this this October, and I'm sure they'll be back. But we had two separate drone companies uh, on display in the vendors uh, vendors uh, section, and um, they also they came out to one of the um, live uh, uh, tick drills that we did. Um, on the, on the uh, training ground at Benita Springs Fire Department. And it was amazing to watch these two uh, gentlemen uh, do their work and get the angles. And in talking with them, they were talking about this is exactly what they train people to do on a fire scene, uh, trying to ke- be able to keep the, the, oh, the IC um, up to date with what they see, whereas as opposed to what personnel can't get to or something like that. And I actually, when I walked in and I saw them setting up, I thought of you immediately because I said, well, Jiminy Crickets, it was only, now that was October. And so we're talking about from May of last year. So that was only five months, uh, five, six months difference that we all, now we had at a small, small conference like this regional Florida conference, we had two major uh, drone companies on display, you know, uh, selling their wares. And they were busy. The, their boots were busy the uh, the entire you know week of the of the show. So there's no doubt in my mind that forget what I just see on on t- television, or forget what we my listeners see on TV. It's what I'm seeing happening in uh, in the development of the fire service itself. As I read the trade journals, there I'm reading now. I'm on the emailing list of uh, drone responders and the and the other group as well. And I'm just seeing this explosive growth of, resp- of uh, drone use, 
which I think if we go back to our initial conversation last May, a year ago, May, was that this was something that was going to truly afford, that you already foresaw its abilities to help in public in all, all, all aspects of public safety. Absolutely right. And, and there's, there's a lot of changes. Uh, there's, there's, new, there's new technology. The sense and avoid technology is greater. Uh, we're seeing um, more types of uh, sensors that are coming out. Uh, there's been work now done in hazmat where you can do remote monitoring with the drone. Uh, you know, in southern Manatee uh, Fire Rescue in Florida, they have used it to hazmats to actually reduce up to an hour on average of their entry time because the drone can go through, detect the substance. <clears throat> if they want, they can land the drone, right. turn the propellers off, and do remote sensing directly back to um, oh, amazing. the uh, command post. And then they're able to actually assess what is actually wrong and the problem that they have to mitigate to know which suit to wear and which tools to take in. And then the other uh, really cool thing is that if they're in there working and they realize they need a different tool in the past, you would have had to walk out to a warm zone right. and get the tool. Now the drone can come and drop the tool nearby, and you can walk over just a few steps away, pick up the tool, and be able to continue your, your operation without delay. Uh, that's very interesting, but I will ask this question. Does, yeah. the, will the, does the drone, might the drone have to be deconned um, after its entry into the hot zone? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So it's it dependent upon um, what type of uh, hazmat situation sure. you're involved in. It would be like any hazmat situation, any tool that becomes exposed to something that requires specific decontamination procedures, those same procedures apply to the drone. Okay. So that's something that people who are thinking along those same lines might have to keep in mind that uh, the type of drone that you want, they're looking to get would have to be one that could, could withstand both that kind of use and the decon that would have to go through and hopefully easy enough to break down so they could decon all the parts without any uh, big problem or loss of, of use of the, of the uh, instrument itself. Absolutely. And it may be that you, you choose one of your less expensive drones and fly in those types of missions so that you can afford to, to scrap it if necessary. Right. Good point. Uh, you know, another, another exciting thing is uh, we've seen under the new FAA Reauthorization Act the allowance of tethered drones. Uh, and something really kind of interesting and exciting is that uh, Pierce, uh, our FRS manufacturing company, and Photokite entered into a partnership to where they can now have tethered drones that will slide out from a compartment or it can be uh, attached to the roof of the cab. And you push one button and it's up flying and you don't even, it, 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 by, the, by the new rules, you don't have to have a remote pilot to be able to do that because basically you're just putting it straight up in the air and then you're going to direct the, where the camera's looking and then that immediately, finds, immediately provides a stream of video to the incident or operations commander. Amazing. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. I think maybe by the time we finish this podcast, you're going to tell me that, oh, something new just came across your desk and we can do something else now. This this growth and maturing is just amazing. Uh, to well, see. There's, and there's another exciting, some exciting developments. Uh, both CAPE and First Eyes are companies that are focused on delivering uh, beyond visual on a site. But what's different here is they're launching the drone at the immediate time of dispatch of a call. And as part of the FAA's integration pilot project in San Diego, Chula Vista County, uh, California Police Department has a program that works out of their dispatch office. It launches from the dispatch center and goes over specific types of incidents that will provide uh, information. On average, uh, that drone is now being flown autonomously and then is manually controlled by a dispatcher in the center. and on average, it arrives in 114 seconds after the call and is providing an overwatch. Uh, I, I don't know the numbers now, but I think they're up over 800 missions since October of last year to the present day. And they have had uh, numerous uh, arrests that have been assisted by the drone. And they've had even more impressively is it has is turned back, I think, like 80 some incidents where they could they could put a ground unit in service. Um, more quickly, and that's this, that would be the same for fire. So they they would fly fire and see it. If it's really a significant fire, they can inform right. the fire department that maybe you need additional equipment, or if it's not quite as severe as what it sounded like, they can put other units in service. So we're starting to see really dramatic changes in in how 
drones are being used automatically as, as opposed to reactively. Right. Well, you know, that, that when you think about it, uh, let's say a good drone for that for this purpose might be, I'm going to say, I'm going to round it off to $2,500, which is, especially in law enforcement, it's a lot less expensive to buy that drone and run that drone to look at that scene than it is to put your helicopter, to buy the helicopter, real helicopter, pay for the pilot and the observer and put that up in the air and the, the time it takes to, and for them to get over the scene. And so it's a lot faster and a lot less expensive and a lot less risk involved by using the drone instead of putting that helicopter up in the air. So, yes, you're absolutely right. And, and I'll give you one example that kind of echoes that. Uh, in Richmond, Virginia, following the Charlottesville protest, they had a similar statue protest. Uh, we had the Virginia State Police helicopter up flying, and it was flying overhead back and forth. And of course, it's got to maintain a certain altitude for safety purposes. Right. And we got a report of uh, three men with long guns, and the helicopter was trying to go back and forth, and they couldn't see the tree canopy was in the way. Uh, they, they finally reached over to the, the drone team and said, hey, can you fly? Now, keep in mind, the helicopter had been flying for the first 20 minutes, and that was the video feed they were getting. Right. Within three minutes of that assignment, they found the men with three long guns, took care of it. Um, and from that point forward, the rest of the day, it never went back to the helicopter footage. It was drones from that point forward. We had a, an unscheduled protest march at the same event. The drone was able to fly at 300 feet. They couldn't see or hear it, and they were able to direct the motorcycle uh, police officers to get into each intersection to stop the traffic, and not once did we have any conflict between pedestrians and vehicles. Amazing. Just amazing. <clears throat> so I, I think what, what we also want to stress here is that the drone use is, is not just in law enforcement or fire. We're really taking it all across first responders. I saw the, the announcement about um, Pierce uh, with their work um, and uh, I think that was on a, uh, a firehouse um, email blast uh, last week um, mm-hmm. that you know, I was just amazed to see it. And yet at the same time, I'm not amazed at the fact that Pierce was the manufacturer that jumped on it uh, first out there. Because, they, I mean, my experience has always been with Pierce equipment in the two departments I, I was in. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always seen them. And I, luckily, I was up in... Uh, Wisconsin uh, a number of years ago for uh, the Jewish High Holidays, and one of the members of the synagogue was very friendly with the ops manager for the Pierce plant, and he set me up on a two-day tour of the plant, and they just that tour just concretized my belief from my ex- personal experience is that Pierce is always on the cutting edge of what's happening mm-hmm. in the fire service. And uh, whether it's how they design the equipment, what they offer uh, in the equipment that you order from them, depending on what type it is. And yet this that you just that we just talked about is another great point to show that Pierce wants to be out there to do everything it can to protect the men and women who serve in America's fire service. And by having this auto launch this program that just puts them, you know, another mile ahead of the game and puts those departments a mile ahead in the game as well. And I think that's what's most important is to serve the people, serve the first responders, which allows them to serve the citizens of, our, of the communities and save life and property, which is our oath. So, so just a, one more caveat with that, sure. kind of icing on the cake, is that uh, what this allows them to do is very quickly put the drone up. Uh, it has, it has sense and avoid technology because I asked the question. So, what if it takes off and, you know, as firefighters, if you give us two, three ball bearings and put us in a padded room, we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll lose one, we'll break one, and we'll sell the third. Um, so my concern was, okay, we launched this, and it goes right up into power lines. And they said, no, they've now got sense and avoid technology that actually will prevent that from occurring. But what's really interesting is that, so you pull up on the scene, and one of your apparatus is positioned in the right place. You launch the drones, providing situational awareness, but also because it's tethered, it has continuous power. So it continued to operate without having somebody controlling it, uh, the entire operation, and it has the ability to use your normal visual optics and also to switch over to FLIR at the same time. So now you can be flipping over to FLIR and looking at the heat signatures uh, to be able to identify integrities of roofs or fire spread in the building, and and even in the evening hours you can see your firefighters that are as they're maneuvering either on the roof or around the building. Sure. So it's really 
game changer. Well, that yeah, especially um, when we talk about uh, the the need, and we we've done several shows with um, a good friend, uh, Chief Andy Starnes, um, for, and his uh, inside training about tick use, and uh, my friend Joe Devito, who put together helped put together the uh, Florida Fire School. The same thing. His these guys have are teaching so much and so hard about the value of the investment of a department's investment in a tick. And now you add the drone to that. So you have your tick on the ground, you have your drone with flare capabilities in the air. And that just, again, opens up a whole new way of protecting both your firefighters and anybody still uh, in the house uh, and the, and the surrounding area all, all at the same time using technology that's available today. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you one last thing, and this would be a good place to take a break. Okay. Um, what we've seen is that uh, peop- departments that have not really gone into seriously looking to drones is primarily for two reasons, or maybe three. One is they, they think the rules are too stringent and it's too hard to do. Uh, number two, they think it's too hard um, or it might be too expensive, So they, they, and they or they don't understand the true value of what it brings. So now I do a, a use case presentation, which is about... 30 use cases in public safety that I've actually taken screenshots from videos. So they're actual demonstrations of use. And I start my presentation with the question, would you ever put your personnel in harm's way unnecessarily? And I, I tell everybody, I will answer that question once I've gone through these use cases. And at the end, I, I say, now, is there anything throughout these use cases that you see that you would know that you didn't, that you weren't able to see from the ground? And it's this, this really this very cool aha moment of, right. Oh my gosh! I wasn't thinking about all those hazards I didn't know about. So if you're not looking at drones, yes, you there's a good chance you're putting your personnel in harm's way unnecessarily. Oh, that's a great point and a great point for us to take take the break with. And we're going to be back with Chief Winter in just a couple of moments. We're going to continue not only talking about the use of drones in public safety, but how they're going to take this to some of the best experts with hand and eye coordination. You're going to have to guess who those are when we come right back. So we'll be back with Chief Charles Warner right after these words. Please stay tuned. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside. You trust the SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. No matter where we live or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief Wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again, and Cool Towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your Cool Towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your Cool Towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your Cool Towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, 
You're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make Cool Towel your answer to keeping cool. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels, which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And we're back with my guest today, Chief Charles Werner, who is the director of the public safety, uh, of Drone Responders, the Public Safety Alliance. Uh, In our first segment, we've talked about the explosion of the spread of drones and their use in uh, public safety. And now we're going to talk about the Drone Responder organization in itself. So, Chief, if you will, please. Yeah, thanks, Steve, again. Um, So the Drone Responders Public Safety Alliance uh, grew out of uh, my travels across the country talking to the people that are doing public safety U.S. slash drone programs and learning uh, how much more we need to do to really figure this out, to share information, to establish some training guidelines, um, lessons learned, best practices, and and to create a repository. Uh, You know, one of the first things that we've done is we've put together a resource center, and to access it, the only thing you have to go do is go to droneresponders.org and and join. It's free. We have over 300 documents of public safety U.S. or drone supporting uh, information, and that's everything from uh, information on certificate of authorizations, waivers, training programs, checklists, SOPs, lessons learned, best practices, and even a lot of the drone reports that have gone and, and given some information about what's happened more recently. Um, and then there's this hunger uh, for people to be a part of something and to, to join together to be able to share the information between individuals. What we've seen over the past two years is this constant reinventing of the wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's very frustrating, uh, and, and it's kind of interesting because you'll get that call from the person and say, oh, my gosh, I'm just starting. I'm trying to figure out what to do. What about the rules of FAA? What about the aircraft? And, and you know that because you've been there before. Right. And, and so, you, so it brings a smile to my face to be able to say, I have what you need in the resource center to get you started, but we also have something for you to be a part of uh, so that you can actually go into the, to a forum which has specific topic threads. Uh, so it gets those similar thoughts in one central place. And then with it, we would, we will, you know, insert uh, professionals from all across the country as we have created this new technical expert program. Uh, so in addition to our board of advisors, which in and of itself is a list of very impressive people from across the country, we also have added technical experts now in excess of a hundred uh, that are those people doing it in the field all across the United States and Canada and uh, what's come of that is um, we're, this technical expert program is really designed to be diverse. And, and let me go through what I mean by diverse. It means diverse in public safety disciplines. It means diverse in uh, the expertise areas that are there. It means diverse as far as geographic regions across the United States and Canada. Uh, it also means diverse from the standpoint of uh, race and gender where we can. And it's, it's really uh, interesting to be able to go out and have these conversations, pull people in and create this vast network of people that want to help each other. That's wonderful. And I think um, probably many of our listeners are the people who do uh, use computers a lot and know the, the value of forums on numerous topics. Uh, I mean, even, even for me, and even though I do computer consulting, I still use for computer forums on many different pl- platforms, uh, many different sites, for to find specific uh, instances that I'm trying to deal with for a client, 
Uh, I can't know everything that's that's happening, uh, no matter how much I read, no matter how much I study. I still need to understand how somebody else might do face the problem that my client has presented to me. And the forums are a great idea, and and the and they have been for years. I mean, I think we can go all the way back to CompuServe, and even America Online had those group those group settings um, where you couldn't. It was all, it was like the early uh, edition of of forms that we have today, and to do this, like you said, the way you set up for drone responders, you basically give the person who is still in, only in the consideration phase a great place to go to have their questions answered by people who have already been there and done that, and to guide them step by step on what they're going to need to move towards a UAS system for their organization. And I think that, that was, it was a brilliant idea to set it up that way. Yeah, and, and the goal is that we're reaching across the country to have these, these uh, technical experts that will be in the forums, people that have knowledge, people that have been there before, people that have specialties, people that are working in hazmat areas or forensics investigations and law enforcement-specific things. We're, we're going to have all that information there so that you can come in and be able to, to share with others that have either been there before you or are going through the exact same things that you're going through. So it's really exciting to see that. And um, and just so you know, for your listeners, uh, if, if there are people out there that have uh, a vast amount of experience, either generally with unmanned aircraft systems and drones or uh, with a specialty in the drone area, we'd very much like them to to be consider being a part of the tech technical expert program because we can never have enough, and we're always looking more to spread this network all across the United States, Canada, and as far as it goes, to South America as well. And uh, if anybody's interested, they can send me an email at charles at droneresponders.org. Okay, so we have that. So charles at droneresponder.org. If you want to... Droneresponders. Dro I'm sorry. Don't, jo try that again. Droneresponders.org. That's plural. Responders.org. And the chief will get right. back to you, uh, uh, help you with some direction and, and, and that. Now, with this um, expansion, and I think you said what you just said about the how well you're trying to integrate all different types of people, experience, um, departments, organizations into this. You mentioned something before we went on the air about trying to aim and start looking at those people who are probably have some of the best eye-hand coordination um, in the world, and those are our youngsters, our early teens and teens who use the video games because you can watch them and these their fingers just fly on those controllers. So, Absolutely. So, uh, you know, to your point, um, we also realize in drone responders that not only do we have to deal with the here and the now, we need to be thinking about the future and what that looks like as far as who we might have that are coming either uh, as this, this also becomes an opportunity to recruit for public safety agencies in general. But right. it helps us to reach out to, to actually recruit new future remote pilots. And so, yeah, what we're doing now is specifically looking at developing some STEM projects that we will be working with middle schoolers and expose them to uh, an exercise, if you will, that they can see the drone being used for a specific purpose that creates a specific product. It might be a 3D model of a facility, um, and then uh, they're able to see how that is then used by the facility people uh, for their own benefit. But And it combines uh, the partnerships of public safety with industry, uh, with some other uh, some other well-known entities and become something that we hope will also be uh, something that's done across the United States and beyond. Well, I think that's great for education. Number one, uh, to give our, our, our kids the opp opportunity to get involved in a STEM project that many of them probably would love to do anyway, because they've seen that or their parents have bought them the little toy versions of the drones that they've flown around. But even more so, it reminds me of a new story that I saw while I was on, uh, on vacation uh, last month, and it showed it was about a, one of the ast current astronauts with um, uh, with NASA, and that it mm -hmm. was, had back took back to when he was a kid. His father started him on using Estes model rockets, 
And yeah. that that he they had some photos of him and his dad launching some uh, model rockets, which I did years ago myself, not as a kid, but as an adult. In the in matter of fact, in Greensboro, what we were talking about before we went on the air, a good friend of mine and his son really got into it, and they asked me if I'd be interested. I said sure, and we went around every other weekend or so and went up. But the fact that that one ex- those experiences for that young man led him through his life's course to become and wound up becoming an astronaut for NASA says volumes about what could happen with some of these junior high and high school students in in the STEM program for UAS devices that uh, where that could lead them as they grow and and look for their path uh, their professional path in life as well I think it's it's a great idea to offer our kids who are so good at at the the basics of it um, that it's it's natural to them, and we know that even our armed forces are using um, young people who have excelled at video games as uh, military drone pilots. Uh, those interviews have been on the news as well. So it, it's just taking, looking for that resource and cultivating it, uh, like you would for for anything else. And it's an opportunity for kids to learn something that's out of the box because a lot of the stuff that's in the box we know they get bored easily out of the box with something that's dealing with electronics which is their passion and their love for most of them and giving them the idea to say hey this is what you could do if you come on board with this this program the stem program and where it might lead you to and give them that hands-on opportunity i think is is just a brilliant idea to look for the future because this, this whole process is going to do nothing but grow. Uh, we already see that you know Amazon and others are talking about uh, parcel delivery through those. Um, I hope they all measure the weights that are, are, uh, are they're capable of on each delivery uh, carefully, because I don't want to see a drone drop a package in my pool uh, one, day, <laughs> one day, especially if it's electronics. But I think it's the. We know that drones are going to become huge. And I think, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a, somewhere online in the fire service, there was a video of a future fire engine that actually operated as a drone, but it was a huge drone. It had four large, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. props driving it, but it had the ability, it carried tanks underneath, it had the ability to actually get to a high level, especially if it was a, you know, a skyscraper or something like that, to get up there, and they had one level that was for firefighting. One, I'm sorry, one UAS that was for firefighting, and one that I, I'm not sure if it was UAS. It was a drone, but it may have been piloted by big enough to have a pilot on board, and one for rescue where people could step off a platform mm-hmm. and, and into it. So even if those are just concepts today, as as you've said to us already, from May of 2018 to where we are today, we grew from just under a thousand agencies that you saw then to somewhere between two and three thousand today. And as we know, according to I forget the name of the professor's law, that every 18 minutes a new way of uh, doing something electronically, either it's in RAM or battery storage or something like that. Every 18 minutes is another advance in that. So you put that together with the advance in drone technology today. We just know that this is going to go further for the next, you know, 25 to 50 years. Well, to your to your point, this is a real interesting conversation. Uh, I wrote an article for Firehouse just recently that said uh, kind of like technology in 2040, and I'm talking about the wearables uh, the connectivity through first net internet uh, to where it has devices that are embedded in your body that's monitoring your biometrics. And it says, oh, I see Charles is having a heart attack. It alerts the medical center and a drone is immediately launched to pick you up and take you to the hospital all simultaneously and you never be different. But it, what you're saying is true is that there's there's concepts out there that a, that a drone would be able to fly up to a high uh, level in a high-rise building, shoot a canister of some type of chemical that can extinguish the fire. Um, again, it, it gets it gets the ability to, to do things and put things in a perspective of saving lives and property and not putting firefighters in harm's way. Or, as I kind of said in my article, I see a, a an operations chief actually being in a, a 
drone flying above the incident, monitoring the activity that he can now see, uh, he or she can see without having to um, call somebody on radio and say, can you give me a report from your particular sector right. or division? Um, so that's uh, that's really exciting. Uh, but some of the other stuff that's coming out is the addition is there's now the, the convergence of technology. So now you've got drones, you've got video streaming, you've got artificial intelligence, you've got thermal image view, uh, you have uh, the ability to have augmented reality to provide augmented reality really became important for the wildfires because everything that was that was previously there had been destroyed. So all of your landmarks are gone. Augmented reality would lay centerline streets down. So it could tell you where you're actually flying over it for reference. And then GIS coming into it with creating dashboards, which they did in the campfire and the car seal fire to where they now took their damage assessments and their, 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 their captured imagery onto a, a dashboard that could give people the ability to go through and look and see at the different areas and levels of devastation in California. So it, we, we really the convergence of so many different things and the ability to stream over FirstNet for public safety, having priority and preemption, all these components kind of come together to create this, this synergy um, that we haven't seen before. Right. Well, it sounds that way. And I'm glad you brought up FirstNet because before we closed, I wanted to get a quick update on a couple of those topics that we did speak about when you were here in May of 2018. And one of them was FirstNet. So it sounds like, uh, and I've seen some uh, some things online and uh, at a couple of conferences, FirstNet is really growing and um, really finding acceptance. The exciting thing that I see is that FirstNet has, has far exceeded uh, the, the schedules of their build out. And we're seeing more and more public safety agencies, a huge, uh, huge contract with the Department of Justice just occurred, uh, which now a lot of the federal agents are, are going to be going and having first net capabilities, which means when they need the communications um, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year in the worst type situations, it'll be available to them. And then FirstNet also has uh, a huge amount of de uh, deployables that can actually go after the areas and support things. And I've seen numerous places where FirstNet is there just to provide that bandwidth and that band 14 special uh, with priority and preemption. Uh, so yes, it's, it's fantastic to see. I'm glad to see that they're being involved from the very beginning of it, that it's really coming to fruition and making a huge difference for public safety all across our country. Well, that's great. That's great to hear because we know that, uh, and we've seen, we've all seen it. Those of us in the fire service, is that there have been times where we have radio failure um, and uh, we just can't communicate with each other, especially on certain types of mutual aids. We have different departments. Um, they don't, they, one department may have the upgraded radio uh, with the multi-broadcast and the other one couldn't afford that. So they have just standard, channels, sta standard channel radios and it's taken a toll. Uh, either on property or God forbid, but as we know, it's even taken a toll on on, on life. And to, this first net seems to be that that uh, that ether that will allow departments from and different types of organizations to communicate with each other when they need it on demand, and not have to wait for a channel to clear or something like that. And and you as a chief, and all your experiences in fire service, and me just as a Oh, you know, belly crawling nozzle jockey um, can still see the, the important value of having instant communications when it's needed in an emergency. Um, let's. Well, I'll tell you. Good. Let me just give you one more exciting thing to, uh, that I don't want to let go is, is, is as we go forward with FirstNet, they're also working on the enhanced location services. And that will will actually really dynamically change the whole way we operate because it'll give both uh, you actually give X, Y, and Z components. So you can not only see the X and Y component of where a person is on the ground, but the Z elevation part in a building. So that, and you can actually imagine this: you could color code firefighters red, police officers blue, EMS yellow, and you would be able to see uh, where everybody is located on an incident scene simultaneously. So imagine yourself in a Las Vegas situation and you're able to see the police officers moving up through the building to where the shooter is. And you can see what firefighters and what locations and EMS people on, on the field. And then as we go forward, it will also be able to capture the, the 911 callers information. So you can actually see where they are in relation to rescuers. They're trying to make it, make it to them, especially important in, in uh, urban settings and high-rise buildings. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the other topics we discussed. And uh, I was looking for an update, and that was the perfect up, up update for it. And again, what we see is the synergy between the different, asp different technologies that we're talking about today 
And yet the synergy brings them all together. And for all public safety organizations, and that means that when public safety organizations can do their job uh, in a better way, in a more pro pro professional way with better tools, that means that res hopefully results in lives that are saved and property that are, are saved as well. And I think there was one more that we, we covered. I'm trying to remember. We did FirstNet. We did the 3D. And I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head. And now it's, it's in my head is, is very empty at the moment. So, um, uh, but that's okay. But, you know, it, it's just great to hear, number one, that we have somebody like you on the edge of what's breaking in technology for public safety. Um, it's one thing for the articles in, in the magazines for this guy to say this and this guy that, but you've you've established yourself, whether you meant to or not, but you established yourself as really the go-to person for uh, developing technology um, that's outside of actual hands-on firefighting and stuff like that, but the actual technology for um, overseeing and manage, let's say scene management and deployment management for public safety agencies. And I think that this country and every public service agency is very lucky to have someone as knowledgeable as you with your experience in the fire service and expanded uh, early on into the UAS uh, cloud, pardon the pun, but uh, that you're able to bring us this kind of information that we can share with our listeners and hopefully they will share with their departments um, to have them listen to the podcast as well. And then go to uh, dronerespondersorg uh, for information uh, that you can learn to, to get help with information, the forms, etc. Plus you can uh, contact Chief Werner directly at charles at dronerespondersorg Did I say it right that time? You did. Let me just wrap up by saying this. Sure. Regardless of what stage you're in, uh, if you're thinking about drones, if you are using drones, uh, or you're looking for more advanced things, regardless of the stage you're in, regardless of the size of the department, regardless of um, the discipline that you're in in public safety, Drone Responders is inclusive for all. And come join droneresponders.org. Be a part of what we're doing. Help share information and come visit, learn, and help us advance public safety on manned aircraft systems. Well, that's great. Now, I'll tell you something, folks. I got on the mailing list just when I first heard about it, and I, I figured maybe once in a while there'd be an email. I get several emails a week, and they are so informative about this subtopic that you can't go wrong subscribing to the email, as the chief just said, no matter where you are in your thought process with drones. Chief, I want to thank you very much for sharing time from a very busy schedule, I know. Uh, I truly appreciate it, and I know our listeners will as well. It's always great to have you with us and to share the great uh, development in technology for public safety with, uh, with all the listeners. Very important to us, and uh, we know how, it is, how important it is to you as well. Well, Steve, thank you for getting the content in all the different areas that you cover to inform uh, the members of the fire service and public safety. It's a huge uh, service to us all. Thank you very much. Folks, we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. You are listening to Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. You show up for your shift, but you're not feeling 100%. You greet your colleagues with a smile, but you just can't put your finger on it. I'll shake it off in an hour, you think to yourself. You take in a couple of nothing runs, but you're still not feeling any better. When you get back to the barn, you throw some cold water on your face and think, yeah, that's more like it, and head back to the day room. With training scheduled for after lunch, you make yourself comfortable in one of the recliners. But as you sit there, you feel ill. You start to sweat, and you feel nauseous. There's a pain in your left arm that you've never had before. Hey guys, you call out, I'm not feeling. And your voice trails off, your eyes close, and the darkness surrounds you. More firefighters die from cardiovascular health issues than any other reason. Don't let self-pride get in the way of taking care of yourself. See your doctor on a regular basis and be sure to advise him or her that you are a firefighter. Don't be a statistic. Be a healthy firefighter with a long career. For more information, 
visit the IAFF, the NVFC, or the IAFC-SHS website. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Steve Green. And once again, I'd like to welcome you to the kickoff episode for Season 4. Hard to believe. Season 4 of this podcast, Five Alum Task Force. I've kind of shortened the name, although it's still all about news and issues for today's first responders. But I just wanted to take a moment to tell you how much I appreciate your support over these past three years. I want to say thank you to all the guests who have so graciously joined me and so generously gave of time from busy schedules to sit and talk with me and with you, my listeners, about key subjects in the fire service in particular and for first responders in general. In today's podcast with Chief Werner of Drone Responders is great news for all first responders, all emergency organizations, because we know the value of drones now and appreciate them even more than we did just five years ago. So this has grown tremendously. And we're very lucky to have a contact like Chief Werner, who's apprised of the cutting edge of technology that will benefit the first responder community and other emergency operations as well. We have some other great guests set up for you coming up. We have another Uh, boardroom-style podcast scheduled for end of October, beginning of November, uh, with some familiar names. And we'll be discussing the topic of why the volunteer fire service model is broken. And as one of our participants, uh, Chief Buckman says, Chief John Buckman says, Today's volunteer service ain't the same that Ben Franklin started in Philadelphia back in the uh, 18th century. And the chief is absolutely right. Everything changes. Everything evolves. We've had many podcasts where we've talked about the evolution and the growth and the maturation of the American Fire Service in particular and the worldwide fire service. We know we have listeners across the world, and uh, we hope that each of them are able to use some of the information that we bring in each of our podcasts from our uh, terrific guests. We're also still open to ideas. If you have an idea for a show, or if you would like to be my guest on the show, please send an email to me at dalmatprod at outlook.com. I promise I'll read it. I promise I'll answer you absolutely, because I can't stand in today's society when you apply for a job, or you send a note to somebody, and you never hear anything back. It's like you just fell off the cliff, and you don't exist anymore. I don't believe in that. That's not the way I was raised, and that's not the way I do business. So if you write to me, I promise you that I will answer you. Some of you have written comments on the blog, which I sincerely and deeply appreciate, but I've answered those comments as well. I think it's important to get back to our listeners whenever we can. If you're an advertiser, If you're thinking of advertising, but you don't have a large budget, you have a small budget, well, this podcast could be a perfect answer for you. We have two terrific advertisers now, Insight Training, your 
best bet for tick training today in the fire service, and the Firehouse Tribune, a great website where you can learn at your own pace, learn modules, talk with other firefighters, connect and see who's doing what, how you're doing it, etc., all on the Firehouse Tribune. And I have room for one more paid advertiser. If you're interested, you'd like to talk with me about it and get some details, please feel free to drop me a line at the same address, dalmatprod at outlook.com. And I'll be right back with you. And hopefully we'll be able to put a small deal together and you can try it out and see how you like. I'm happy to say my two existing advertisers are very happy with the results they've received. And I'm thrilled for them because it means even more to me than I know that I'm actually helping those two companies with their work efforts. And I'm not just promoting the podcast. What we do is helping them. And I'd like to add one more advertiser to our family as well to do the same. And that's it, folks. Always welcome to hear from you again through the website or on Facebook. And yes, as I said earlier, I'm going to make a pledge to try to spend more time on my Facebook pages for Dalmat Prod and Dalmat Prod Fire. I will make an announcement in the coming week on the website. And I will say that there's a change in Cause and Origin forthcoming. Uh, you may have seen it on the website already, but I'll make a large posting there and I'll announce it on our next podcast. So until then, please stay safe and stay well. And let's make sure everyone goes home. Every year, over a million fires burn in America. Fortunately, firefighters are on the job, saving life and property, and you can be a part of it. Seven out of 10 firefighters and emergency responders are volunteers. There's no typical firefighter. Anyone can volunteer to serve their community. Volunteering as a first responder is really about having the heart and drive to make a difference where it's needed most. Your community needs you. Are you ready to answer the call? Learn more and find local volunteer opportunities at makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. We'd like to thank our guests, Chief Charles Werner for joining us to discuss the advancements in drone use for public safety across the board. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alarm Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training LLC and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nestor Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod at outlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatprod or at cause underscore origin, and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatprod or forward slash dalmatprodfire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and let's make sure everyone goes home.